Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Claire Mutimer. And I'm Susie Coulson. Welcome to The Backstory. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. Hello, it's another week and another backstory. Thank you so much for joining us again. This week, we hear from David Videset. Back in 2005, David was a Scotland Yard investigator working in counterterrorism. We just heard that the UK had won the bid to host the 2012 Olympics. And then on the 7th of July, the coordinated London terrorist bombings happened. Three on the underground and one on a London double-decker bus. 52 people were killed and hundreds were injured. Here, David tells Susie about what it was like from both a professional and personal point of view to be involved in the subsequent investigation. Our usual heads up, there are no explicit details of the attacks, but this is about terrorism. If you feel it's not right for you, then please give it a miss. Here's David. Okay, David, thank you so much um, for meeting with us. Can you cast your mind back over your life and think about the highs and the lows, peaks and the troughs, and think of a, an event or an experience that you'd like to tell us about? But the biggest event really uh, thus far has been uh, 7-7. Um, I was a counter-terror detective. Uh, it was a, a, a day that, um, that none of us would ever forget. You were working in counter-terrorism at the time. And I really believed that we were the best of the best and, and uh, you know, nothing would like this would ever happen. Yeah. Um, I'd spent uh, probably the, about the two months before 7-7 working on a, uh, a surveillance operation uh, where we were targeting somebody who we believed was a terrorist right. um, and was looking to carry out an attack. And, uh, and the morning of uh, the 7th of July, um, you've got to remember that, um, that also as well, it wasn't just the announcement of the Olympics the day before, uh, but we had the G7 on in, yeah. in, in Glen Eagles in Scotland. Okay. Um, and there was some intelligence which suggested that Glen Eagles might be a target. Right. Um, so a lot of our staff weren't even, um, you know, in the, that part of the country. We, they, they were in, in Scotland. Okay. Uh, so we had a real skeleton crew down in London. 
um, that, that particular morning. Um, I was in the office uh, and I was reviewing um, some surveillance footage the, the the day before that we'd taken the day before. Yeah. Uh, and and I was the only one there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we had the huge screens on the wall that beamed in all the different news channels. Right. And about, about uh, I don't know, about five to nine, I suppose it was. Yeah, um, it was morning, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the first bombs went off, and we know now, we didn't know at the time, but we know now that the first the first um, explosions were at 8.50 a.m. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the office alone. There's no, literally nobody else there at all. Um, and, um, and and Sky News started reporting that there had been electrical surges on, on the tube. Um, okay. And, that, uh, you know, it come up as a news flash, electrical surges on the tube, um, people injured. And, and I, do you immediately at that stage? Yeah, well, I, no, I, I, was, I was starting to think that that's odd. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd never heard of an electrical surge. You know, I knew there were electrical fires. Yeah. Um, but I, I hadn't ever seen anything like this on the, on the TV or, or before. And so I, I, I called through to uh, what was known as our reserve room, which is like the, effectively the, the nerve centre, which controls everything, and said, is, do, do you have any information on what this is? Um, they said no. Um, we're monitoring it. We've seen it on the Sky News. I mean, that's that's how we picked it up. And so we then got on to the the local borough police station um, because obviously the first responders are are your uniformed police officers that yeah. you see, you know, driving around in the police yeah. cars. Uh, things were sort of slowly developing, and it, and it, and it started to you know it started to look quite serious in terms of what is this. But we still didn't know, and there was absolutely no information coming out of um, out of the ground effectively about really what had gone on. I don't think anyone really realised. And it wasn't, I think, until um, sometime later, you know, perhaps um, uh, probably about uh, past nine. Okay. Um, so sometime later, th- yeah. there's somebody starts saying there's something really strange. We need to start uh, getting some people together. We don't know what it is, but we know there's a lot of people injured uh, and we need to get some people together to, to go and, uh, and assist uh, and then, of course, when when the when the bus uh, was was blown up, um, then we realised then it were, they they were terror attacks, and it was it was very likely that they were terrorist attacks that day. Um, the exhibit team had said, said we've got no transport to get anywhere. You know, there was there was nothing. We had no no vans, no cars, no nothing. We didn't we didn't have anything to go anywhere. And so he said, you've got to go and find some cars. And I, you know, I, you know there was there was like forty people that needed that needed transport to the scene. And and the initial information that we had was um, that there had been explosions at n- a number of different tube stations because we had the, the explosions on the tubes went off between stations. Yeah. So obviously people were streaming out both ends of yes. the tube um, and they were coming out of two different stations. And right. so, so the, the initial information that we had, I mean, it's, it, these things are always very confused, but this was particularly confusing because it was underground. So uh, I needed to try and find, you know, 40 different cars um, uh, and, and uh, across the road from, from where I was working, um, there was a car hire centre. And I walked over to the car hire centre and I said, I don't know if you've seen what's happened on the television. He said, oh, yes, I have. I need to hire every car you've got on your forecourt. I need every set of keys you've got and I need them now. Um, and I literally commandeered every every car they had. And so so then it was, it was more a case of trying to um, uh, scrabble together uh, search teams. Okay. Um, because obviously once, once, um, once the initial 
wounded a, a dealt with and I'm bearing in mind this is we, we now know it's a terror attack we now know that there are are four different scenes yeah we didn't know at that point that it was a suicide bombing so we we arrived at the scenes and, and it, it became apparent very quickly because uh, we weren't really aware of how many dead there were uh, it became very apparent how many dead there were uh, when the, the bus had, had the biggest number of casualties in terms of death it was a scene from absolute hell when you turn up to an absolutely horrific situation mm. like that you're seeing it differently from a civilian what is it that you're noticing as an investigator when you're going to a scene like that well we are trying to establish lots and lots of different things we, yeah. we, we want to know what sort of device it was we want to know um and who who the attacker was, you know that that that's a primary concern. Mm. Obviously, once once we've dealt with the wounded, once we've taken the the injured away, um, then we've got to deal with the dead. You know, and the, but the dead um, they hold evidence. You know, when a bomb goes off, fragments into thousands and thousands mm. of different pieces, and we literally pick up every single piece. We sort the pieces into individual pots. So we take the big exhibits away in the yeah. bus gets taken away um the cars that were nearby get taken away because obviously they all contain tiny tiny little bits which we will recover later um the bodies are recovered um they get taken to a morgue um and then it's somebody's job to uh, work out uh who these people are and it's quite quickly surprising um you can build up an idea of what the bomb looked like and then what was your role on the investigation it was very clear to us um, who the bombers were by that point, very early on. Yeah. They, they, they discarded um, their identification away from, uh, away from the seat of the blast right. so that we could find that. So we know who they, who they were very quickly. Right. So my initial role was to, uh, was to conduct some inquiries around uh, some, of, some of who they were. Yeah. Three of the bombers were from, uh, from uh, Leeds, West okay. Yorkshire, um, they they travelled down in a, in a hire car. They met Jermaine Lindsay, who was the bomber from Aylesbury. They they left their cars and then got on a train. Um, they then parted all parted company at Kings Cross uh, and went in their separate directions, north, south, east, and west, effectively. Right. Um, boarded the tube trains. Um, all of them tried to uh, explode bombs on the tube train, um, but we know that her supersonic device failed initially. Um, and his battery wasn't working. Mm. And it, they, they were set off by a nine volt battery, and uh, and so that's how he ended up on the bus. Okay. So he, um, he he when his device failed to go off uh, on the northern line, uh, you know people w- would have died on the mm. northern line, but they didn't. Um, uh, he went back up to Boots, bought a battery, um, tried to ring the other three bombers who by that point were dead. Uh, uh, and then he chose a secondary target, and he right. got on the bus, which was packed full of people who were who were displaced from the tube and couldn't work out what was going on. Okay. Um, uh, and, and blew himself up on the bus and killed all the people on the bus. Uh, exactly two weeks later, uh, we had a, a copycat attack, twenty-one-seven, where where um, where four uh, suicide bombers tried to do exactly the same. The devices didn't explode effectively. Uh, you know, none of us have slept for, for a long time. <laughs> um, but we literally dropped 7-7 because then it became a, a manhunt. We had another four terrorists yes. on the run. Okay. Um, and then I was moved across onto, onto 21-7 and, and literally um, 
told to find you know find these people sadly the following day uh we made a tragic mistake and shot dead uh jean charles de menzes yeah. at stockwell tube station the whole situation was uh, awful absolutely awful you know not only how did we have <laughs> the biggest mass murder the country had ever seen um we we, we were we'd also shot dead an innocent person mm. and we still had four terrorists on the run the motto of the anti-terrorist branch was long on sleep, uh, short on sleep and long on memory. And, and it was certainly, um, you know, it was, that was certainly the case here. Um, there, there wasn't time to go home. Um, you know, we, I hadn't seen, you know, by that by that point, two weeks later, uh, I'd been home once to change my clothes and, wow. and to get a new set of clothes. We were sleeping wherever we could. Can uh, I ask about your home life? What was going on at home at that? Well, yeah, stage? I, I mean, it's a very difficult time for me personally. I mean, forget, forget professionally, and you know, professionally, I felt very embarrassed. I was part of um, the Antares branch, you know, and, and these people had got through. You know, uh, so professionally, I, I, I took it very hard anyway. You know, right. that, that that was really difficult for me. Um, and your colleagues, the same? Do yeah, you and, think I, that's and I felt very, felt? very personally responsible for for not. Um, having you know having protected these people who were simply going to work personally um, my youngest daughter um, was born the month before seven seven oh my god um so uh, I'd, I'd only had two weeks um sort of paternity leave before that and i'd come back to work to get straight back into this oh. um operation so, so obviously i had a new baby at home um and, I, and i'd gone to work you know i'd literally said goodbye to my wife at the time uh, I'm my, my very young daughter, um, and then I'd, I hadn't I hadn't really seen them. You know, I'd, I'd gone home, literally changed clothes. Say we were sleeping in our cars, we were sleeping on office floors, on desks, a, a, anywhere we could. I mean, one night, you know, we I, I end up sleeping in a, in a railway side, and you know, in a in an office in a railway side. And, you know, li- we were literally, literally wherever you when, 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 whenever there was a spare moment that we had. I mean, we we're, we're chasing people. Um, we're constantly on the go trying to locate them you know uh, and, and every time we we thought we we knew where they were uh, we'd crash in a door or you know speak to witnesses at the scene they say no you've just missed them uh, i mean i you know i, I missed um uh, one of them uh yes in omar you know by, by seconds literally seconds um you know the, the day after i slept to the railway side and yes omar was one of the one of the um, 217 bombers, and right. he, he's the guy that um, that escaped wearing a burqa. So it was bad for everybody. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't just me. I wasn't yeah. the only one that put in this level of commitment. Every single one of my colleagues did. But for me, it, it was difficult, you know, because I, 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 I wanted to just be at home. So what do you do there? Do you do you split? Do you put it to the back of I your mind? Shut it off. You and shut say no it to off it. completely. Yeah. Yeah. Did your um, wife get that? Did she yeah, get that? For, for me, what I did is, is, is somehow mentally I I put the dead people's families first um, above, your above own. my above my own family, um, and that was the only, that was the only way that I could um, maintain uh, the drive and, uh, and enthusiasm that I needed to keep me going. You know, but somehow you've got you've got to have that that thing within you is going to say, why am I doing this and why am I here? What's the purpose of it? Uh, and for me, uh, it was the fact that 52 people, um, 52 families, uh, were grieving um, for people that had gone out for work or gone out to work on, on Thursday, the 7th of July, and then weren't coming home again. Would you do the same again? 
I, I think the answer's got to be yes. Um, I mean, it destroyed my marriage. Um, okay. I, I didn't really go home for five years. We were caught the we caught the other four bombers. Um, I eventually arrested Yasser Omar. Uh, eventually, mm. uh, I arrested him in Birmingham. Um, that uh, must was, have been a good moment. Yeah, he, he was one of the bombers on on the on, on twenty one seven. Yeah. But he he was one in the burqa. The following day, you know, I took him back to London, um, put him at Paddington Green Police Station. Yeah, um, and I locked him up, uh, and then literally, you know, I'm, I'm I come out right. We need you in Leeds. You know, you've got you've now got to go to Leeds. Um, wow. So you. So yeah. you moved up to Leeds. Yes, that's it. And and so and I didn't and I didn't come home. I I'd, I'd come home once once every two weeks, and sometimes you know not at all, uh, because it just simply wasn't the capacity to do so. You right. know, too much. You know, we 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 desperately needed to find out um, who was behind what was going on. Uh, we were aware that obviously there were linkages between the two attack cells at twenty one seven and. Uh, and seven seven, and obviously there was lots and lots of things that were now going on in the background as well. Things that I can't really talk about. Sure. Um, but we we were desperately trying to work out and get the evidence together to charge the people that. Were There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Were supporting these, these individuals that were, that were killing and maiming people in our country. Um, and so, you know, there simply wasn't any time for family. And it remained that way for, for some years, you know, five years. Um, and obviously, by the time I came home, there wasn't much of a marriage left. And, you know, and I've missed all the things um, that a father should have witnessed. You know, I'd, I wasn't on holiday with my um, daughter when she learned to swim in the sea. You know, I didn't see her when she, um, when she learned to walk. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, and I, I kind of, um, you know, I didn't have that bond with her for, for a long time. Right. But all of us, every single one of us, there was a small team eventually that ended up working on this full time for a number of years, and I was one of them. But without fail, every single one of them, male, uh, you know, they, they, their marriages failed. Um, they lost contact with friends, really? family. I was going to say, you guys, you must have almost become uh, yeah, like absolutely. each other's family. Yeah, ab- absolutely. 
but going back to the question, would I do it again? It's, it's without question, I'd have to. But um, we didn't have any other, you know, we, we, we stopped a terror attack in, in 2006, the transatlantic airline plot. Right. You know, that, that was as a direct result of, of the work that the security service and us were doing wow. um, that came out of, of 2005. And then we then didn't have any other terror attacks until mm. 2013, which is when Lee Rigby was killed. You know, and I know for a fact that we we stopped other terror attacks post event. You know, there there were there were people who will never know um, that it was us that was behind their arrest, yes. and it was us that was behind their prosecution. But we know who they were. And as a member of the public, yes. I'm kind of, you know, I've got my house in the country and my family and my dog that kind mm. of sleeps mm. in front of the fire, and I'm blissfully unaware. I'm kind of, I'm aware that that plots are being foiled but I'm blissfully unaware of what's going on and I I quite like it that way. And I wonder, yeah. is that is that a luxury that you would ever like to have? Well, it's funny because um, when I when I first started um, in the anti-terrorist branch, um, the first, I went to a meeting with um, the, the security service, uh, MI5. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I spoke to a, uh, a guy and who, who will identify as Sam um and uh, and I know Sam for a little while um through different meetings um and remember I said I was working on a, an investigation before yes as part of that yeah and um and and, and some months later um after seven seven had happened Sam said I'm, I'm leaving I, I can't deal with it anymore mm. and I kind of couldn't understand why Sam was giving it all up you know why we this was really important why would you walk away from it and he, and, he, he's, and he said, obviously, I don't sleep at night. You know, I, I constantly worry. And he said, I can't wait for the day when I don't know who they are anymore, you know, when I'm blissfully unaware again. And I remember thinking that Sam was, was a, you know, a mug. That was, that, was the only, that was the only way I could describe him at the time. I remember thinking, why would you do that? But I, but I think after, you know, after um, five, seven years later, um, I understood exactly how he felt. Um, I'd like to be blissfully unaware. It's very difficult to let go, but but again, I, I had to, you know, I had to let go of the the 52 families. I had to let go of them and, and put my own family first again. I think when when you come out of it, you're completely different. Yeah, I suppose we become we become experts without realising it of of, um, of compartmentalising your emotions and and. And the, 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 I kind of the way I see it is that um, is I put the difficult feelings in a box and I push it to one side uh, and and leave them and I won't look at them. They come back and bite you in the ass. Well, they, 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 it yeah. is difficult, yeah, because they, they come out of the most unexpected moments, mm. uh, and and that that's that's the problem is that you know you suddenly find that the box is open and it's and it's it's spewing everywhere. You know, I've been been in a meeting with somebody and and some you know senior manager. And they, they say, well, we, oh, we think you need some time off. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. You know, just, I need to get this done, I'm fine. We know you guys some time off. And again, I just burst into tears. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a man, you know, it's okay to cry. Wow, um, that is, that was an amazing story. And, yeah, really, like, 
hit me because um Susie as you know I I lost my brother in a terrorist attack um and yeah it my brother was killed in Bali so it was um you know different but that was 2002 wasn't it that was 2002 and this obviously was three years later so um you know we were still feeling very raw and actually I can really remember the weekend after this because we had a fundraiser for Encompass um, which was a charity we set up in memory of my brother yeah and that was yeah on the Saturday I think after this might have been on the Thursday or something it was very soon afterwards and London felt really different it felt in what very sort of way? I felt like we were driving through a ghost town really, really? Um, I can remember being in my uncle's car and heading out to this dragon boat racing that we were doing and yeah and it was just like whoa this feels so different it must be you know it was just hard for Londoners to be there kind of thing and uh, I was sort of feeling quite pleased at the time I didn't live in London. What David's story did for me was made me think of how so many different people were affected I think obviously the first thoughts are with the families of those people who have been killed but also hearing from David about how this affected him on a personal level and also just you saying about London being a ghost town it makes me think what would it have been like to be walking around London as a Muslim following those attacks you know yeah, how difficult I can remember must that have felt and my old flatmate who um you know was Asian and like he could he always told me about you know people kind of going look can you just take your rucksack off or really you know, um like just feeling really threatened and he yes. was really understanding of it he was just like yeah. you know I really get it like it's just scary yeah there was some um very interesting stuff that I was reading following on from this program about um how white terror suspects are now very, very marginally outnumbering Asian terror suspects in the UK. Wow. So really interesting, this this whole issue with far-right groups. And I think there was a warning from one of the one of the senior police officers about how we're not taking enough notice of the threats posed by by far-right groups. We were kind um, of getting blinkered by yeah, a little of, bit. You know, what we've always known, as it were, maybe actually yeah, here comes another group sort of that's yeah. having an extremist point of view. Yeah, and kind of playing on those same sorts of fears about your community being under threat from a community that's seen as, as separate from yours. It's just, you know, it's the same sort of tactics in a way, right, isn't yeah. it? There was a, like a f- the first far-right group to be banned under terrorism laws, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Um, I read about it. Uh, there was a group called National Action, and I think it was in 2016, and it's now actually um, a criminal offence to be a member of that group. So going back to David, you, um, you've you told me a couple of things that David told you that you didn't actually manage to squeeze into his piece because yeah. um, it was, you know, so full of stuff. And yeah. th- there was conspiracy th- theories was one of them wasn't there that um what did he say about that yeah he he was talking about I mean you heard how how much he sacrificed on a personal level and how much everybody that was working in that field was was you know how difficult the work was how exhausting it was and the toll that it took on their personal lives and I think you know when he then hears conspiracy theories about how the security service is responsible for 7-7 or or other attacks and things I think he just finds it incredibly offensive not surprisingly you know it must be very difficult to hear those sorts of views being put out there when you know what has gone into the work yeah the other thing he mentioned was the intelligence they got about for example a threat to the Piccadilly line and stuff you're telling me oh my god this this was really this was really striking yeah so if you imagine that your intelligence is coming in on a regular basis and it might be you know for example you know there's a 
a threat around the Piccadilly line, you know, don't go on the Piccadilly line today. And you know that as an intelligence officer, but you can't phone your your wife or or yeah. whoever. You can't let anybody know about that. And there are a number of reasons why. You know, firstly, it, it's against the law. Um, and obviously, if you phone your wife, then your wife is going to phone her friend. And, you know, suddenly yeah. that information is out there. And also, David explained that sometimes people who are under surveillance might put out false information, false threats right. to see whether that makes it out into the sort of public domain. Really and then react to it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that would then confirm for them whether they're being watched or not. Right. Um, whether they're being monitored so for all of those reasons you can't tell anybody oh my god but on a regular basis you are being made aware of these various i'm sure threats. i've seen that in dramas before and thought oh no you no, kind of assume it's case, just a dramatic yeah, yeah, yeah. device yeah, don't you but, but actually, actually it's, it's, happening it's really happening oh so god. i was really struck by that just how how immensely stressful that must be so i also asked david whether he thought there was a particular type of personality that was suited to counterterrorism you know i was really struck by i think astronauts are chosen according to you know how unflappable they are i'm sure that's a scientific term but um I, what do you think do you think there's a particular do you I mean, think I this is a set this... of skills that you can learn or do you think it's a personality type uh, well i mean i'm guessing that resilience is kind of a really massive part of this yeah. job by having listened to him and we we try and teach i think now resilience in schools to a certain extent but a lot of that comes down to your sort of innate personality i think so i'm sure there are people that are you know more kind of suited to it and i think yeah i think any of these like high pressure jobs take a huge toll on people don't they whatever personality type you are unless you're you know a robot or something like. yeah I was really interested in whether he should regret how he did that job. You know, you asked him whether he regretted yeah. it and the impact on his family. And, you know, I couldn't decide whether he should regret it or shouldn't really. Like, because, you know, as he said, he's, he's, he has essentially saved lives. And, and maybe some people just have to go and do that job, mm. you know, like, and it's not the sort of job you can just leave. And mm. by the sound of it, you know, he was following people who are on the run and stuff. You yeah. can't sort of down tools, can you? Go, actually, yeah. I've got a baby at home. I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. Like, yeah. You know, see where you've got to. I don't know. I mean, also maybe his managers should have managed it slightly better in that it's not good for all those people to lose their families, is it? Like, you know, to, to have a broken family. Isn't yeah, it? but then if you need people to be completely focused on what they're doing, maybe that is just part of the job. It'd be really interesting to hear like people's thoughts on that. I think it's, I think it's a big subject like as to what we should be expecting from people and like yeah. how the, that toll on people's mental health really interesting yeah I know that um he does now get on very well with his family you know he's built a relationship with his children and I think has a good relationship with his ex-wife and also people might be interested in David's books he's written a couple of books which are based on real events uh the first one is called the Theseus Paradox and the second one is called The Detriment and we'll make sure that we put links to those in the show notes. He said that he found, you know, that whole process of writing to be quite cathartic. Yeah, I get the impression that he perhaps burnt out a bit from having done this. I think surprise, so, surprise. definitely. And like this has been his sort of next chapter in his life. You know, did you like that metaphor? Then? I do. <laughs> <laughs> so smooth. I know, so smooth there. Um, so yeah, he's taken to writing and um, 
uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to read one of his yeah. books. Yeah, that's really awesome. Now we can't have a podcast, or we can't have a backstory podcast without a bit of mention of mental health, can we? Like, no, absolutely. We don't like to get we we've always got through. The, no, no, no. So yeah, I was I was pleased that he talked about it. His mental health towards the end of that podcast is kind of he was very open and honest. Wasn't he, he was, yeah, and I guess that's not always an easy thing to do. There was more that wasn't in the podcast. He talked about kind of anger management being a bit of an issue and also, you know, how common it was amongst his peers to get into quite risky behaviour, substance misuse and so on. So Claire, you mentioned Encompass earlier. Do you want to just say a little bit more about it? Yeah, so Encompass was the charity that me and my family um, set up after uh, my brother was killed. And basically the aim of uh, Encompass was always to bring people together from different backgrounds um, and we bring people from Indonesia because it was um, the bombings were in Bali, but also from Israel, Palestine, and America and the UK. Um, and are these young people? That these you're are really young together? people. Yeah, the idea is to take them through a process, um, lots of facilitation to get them talking, and some of them will never have met somebody from like, yeah. America or wherever. Yeah, it's amazing the results that we get. We're just opening people's minds and thoughts and um, changing like the way they sort of think to a certain extent just by sort of exposure to other people kind and of then thing. presumably they're going back to their to yeah. their own communities they go back and... to their own communities and they they talk about these things we're particularly now focusing on israel and palestine yeah. because um that's an area where we've had a lot of success and right. um and we also run some programs in in the uk and in london and we've actually got a photography exhibition on at the moment which is about britishness and what it, it feels to be british and we've done the audio for it mm. On the 23rd of September to the 13th of October at the Guardian, King's Place in King's Cross, there's an exhibition that's completely free and open to everyone. So um, do go and have a look around. It'll be fantastic. And again, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yep. Okay, let's talk about our podcast recommendation for this week. Okay, this week it's called Women We Love and it's made by The Pool. There's lots of really engaging content. So Michelle Hussein uh, mm. talking about kind of life skills, job skills, things like resilience and five-year plans. Have you got one of those tucked up your sleeve? Oh, let me just get it out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Um, And also Jack Monroe talking about food snobbery. She's great. And I think the most recent one is with Deborah Francis White from the Guilty Feminist podcast. And she's talking about her life in objects. So really well worth a listen. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. I have to do that listen. So that's it from us now. Um, Please let us know what you think of today's programme or any of our others. Um, Don't forget to subscribe and help us out by reviewing us and telling a friend. Go on. And if you've got a backstory that you would like to talk about, something that's happened in your life that's made you who you are then do get in touch thanks so much for listening bye 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 we are the backstory podcast on facebook and instagram at the backstory pod on twitter search for the backstory with claire and susie in your podcast directory for sponsorship opportunities or if you'd like to take part in a show please contact hello at the backstory podcast The Backstory Podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.